Welcome to This Is Ag. Today, my guest is Tom Amaro, a fourth-generation family-based agribusiness professional. This is actually a very interesting conversation because we get to hear the history of California agriculture and we get to hear the resources if we are interested in learning more about the agricultural industry in California. Enjoy this episode. Hi, Tom. Welcome to This Is Ag. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this because I've been blessed to be able to be a part of this organization, United Ag, uh, since about 1990. And I know the organization started back a little bit before then. But when I came into United Ag back in the, in the early 90s, um, it really opened my eyes to kind of not only agriculture that I was familiar with within the central San Joaquin Valley where most of my agricultural history began, but by becoming a member of United Ag and participating over the last 30 some odd years and being able to get exposed to and meet other people from not only different regions within the state, but within different agricultural regions across the nation and then even down into Mexico. And so the opportunity to get that broader horizon and that broader experience uh, by being a member in United Ag has been extremely beneficial. Tom, since um, I've known you, so all these years that I've been on the board, I was new to agriculture when I started at United Ag. And when I spent a lot of time with you and I've done tours with you, I've come to Visalia, you've taken me around, and you've given me such a good understanding of California agriculture and the history of agriculture and why we do certain things when it comes to any of the issues that we're facing in agriculture. So it'll be really good for our listeners because this is Ag, the podcast, the reason I started this is Ag podcast for somebody outside of agriculture who might not be exposed to that, who does not get to tour Visalia with Tom Amaro, how do they understand what is truly the history of California agriculture and where we are today? So you want to share that with us a little bit? Well, I'll try. I'll, I'll try to. I mean, basically, I was born in Selma, uh, 1958. And that Selma is a little small town about 20 miles south of Fresno. And that particular region is kind of unique in the agricultural world because it happens to be one of the five places on the planet where typically we get no freeze after February 15th and we typically don't get any rain between July, August, and September. And the reason those two climatic conditions are so important to agriculture is the reason we're able to produce over 400 different crops, specialty crops, nuts, fruits, vegetables, uh, grapes, uh, kiwis, is because all of those permanent planted crops tend to come out of dormancy between December and January and February. And the first thing they do is they bloom and they make leaves and they make flowers. And that is when those particular crops are most vulnerable to freezes, which would wipe out those emerging vegetative growths and produce no crop. The trees can live, but you just get no, no harvest. Well, because of that particular region in the central San Joaquin Valley, it's very conducive because of the 
lack of freezing after February 15th and usually not being subject to rains during July, August, September, and October, which is when we're harvesting this bounty of crops that we're so blessed to be able to grow. Before I go any farther though, let me back up a little bit and kind of share with you what it was like growing up in Central California in the 50s and the 60s. Because I think what you have to do is you have to go back and say, what was California like at the turn of the century? Because at the turn of the century, California was still virtually unpopulated. Uh, There was population in the LA Basin, there was population up in the Bay Area, but the Central Valley was pretty much wide open, rolling hills and desert. And so about the mid-60s, the federal government approved and constructed the federal water project and that water infrastructure that efficiently moves two-thirds of the water that accrue in the northern portion of the state to the southern two-thirds of the state that are desert and dry and arid. And through the development and deployment of that water infrastructure, that opened up the central San Joaquin Valley and that Mediterranean climate to becoming one of five powerhouse regions for producing food for the planet. At that same period of time, you had my mother and people from that generation that originally were from Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas that ended up migrating to California during the 30s and the 40s because of the Dust Bowl. And so the first migrant farm workers that I remember growing up were people that had immigrated during the Grapes of Wrath era, African Americans with low education, and some immigrants that had come over with Armenians, Indians, Portuguese, Italians, Dutch. And so between 1920 and 1940, there was this mass immigration to California to chase gold. But they got here to chase gold, and there was no gold. So they settled to the valley, and they brought with them their seeds, their cuttings, their plants, and all of the things from their countries that they were used to growing when they were farming in their countries. So they brought that culture, those initial seeds, cuttings, and rootings, that today is our specialty crop industry that provides us with world-class pistachios, world-class almonds, world-class tree fruit. Now, I grew up in this western rural Fresno County town called Burl, which was a single-room schoolhouse and a gas station that turned into a bar that went back into a country store. That was my beginning in agriculture, very small family, very rural. And then by the time I had gotten to about third or fourth grade, my father had kind of done some changes in his business, had partnered with an adjacent farmer. They began began getting fairly successful, got approached by an insurance company, and now they were spending $50 million a year to develop mega ranches as investment vehicles for Prudential. This was during the 70s and and the 80s. And so sitting in a back seat and watching 5, 10, 15, 20,000 acres 
every a year, every two, every three years being converted from natural land to established producing vineyards, orchards, or whatever at 16, 17, 18 years of age was just almost unfathomable. And by the time I had gotten to high school, as I'm observing my father, my two older brothers, and my twin brother, all immersed in this transition from a family farm into this what appears to be a corporate farm, what appears to be an investment, and, and just trying to understand where does this go? When is enough is enough? I remember back in 19, I think it was 1972, when or about that period of time, if you were a wine consumer, you could either get a bottle of red Gallo Burgundy or a bottle of red or white Chablis. That was the wine industry. And when Prudential came to my dad and his partner and said, we want to plant a 9,000 acre varietal wine grape vineyard in King City, and we want you to plant as many different varieties as you can because we're going to work with Mr. Gallo in creating individual varietal as opposed to colors. And not quite again understanding what was going on, but now 20 years later looking back and understanding in retrospect that that was how the varietal wine industry was being built. So there are two, actually two different things that I would like you to address. In agriculture, what can we do to be that example for others, right? And what is it from agriculture that somebody outside listening into this podcast and say, this is such an interesting thing that agriculture does. I need to take this back to my industry and apply that. I think what we need to do is we need to kind of make some differentiations that help the consumer or the non-agricultural person to kind of get some bearings or some understandings. People that engage in the production of our food, people that are farmers, ranchers, cattlemen per se, unlike other industries that are driven by a clock based upon what is convenient and acceptable and reasonable to the participants of the organization, but pretty much centered around human needs. Unlike any other business that centers around the needs of humans, agriculture centers around the needs of either animals or plants. And so when we say, I want agriculturalists and people in agriculture to enjoy the same benefits of people that don't work in agriculture. That assumption assumes that trees and animals have the same life cycle and the same needs as humans. I don't know if that is understood in academia. I don't know if that's understood in science, but it is a spiritual existence that exists between the agriculturalist and his livestock and his land that is institutional in nature, it's intellectual property, and it's not documented. The proof is that we've spent 40 years and built an education system, second to none in the world, that has spent billions of dollars to document the California agricultural industry. 
and all of that intellectual property and institutional knowledge on a commodity by commodity basis, 40 years culmination of intellectual property and spiritual stewardness that has been verbally transcribed on paper, but has not been passed on spiritually. Here's the paradox. On a fact-based, economic, verifiable model, consumers around the world will pay five to 25 times more than the U.S. manufactured suggested retail price for anything we produce agriculturally in the state of California. So why would they pay five to 25 times more than the price we pay at a domestic grocery store or Costco? So that's the question that I'll leave with the audience. Those are the questions that need to be answered by our current leadership. What does domestic production look like three to five years with our current leadership? Why, why do you think there is such a big misconception out there? Why is it that this message is not very clear to people making decisions or to the leaders? Why is there so much of a divide in the way people think of agriculture and what actually happens in the industry? Agriculture kind of got stuck into a situation where it comes down to land use. Okay, The state of California has so much land. And when you look at the central San Joaquin Valley that historically has been agriculture, low population, low cost of living. Another way to say it is it's an untapped resource. You've got an embedded workforce of 750,000 low-skilled, uneducated workers that are currently in a region that traditionally would have employed them in producing food that now uh, doesn't have the water to support that industry at least this year. And you can open up a conversation and say, well, why doesn't it have the water? You can have a conversation with farmers that are stewards that have a historical recollection. And they will tell you that up until 1992, in a monument environmental decision that basically gave half of the water behind Fryant Dam to environmental beneficial uses, That's another way of saying that the two reservoirs that supply agriculture between Fresno and Bakersfield just gave up one-fourth of their supply on a go-forward basis and that they were left with three-fourths of what they had historically. And then when we factor in the biological opinions and the policies of who decides how much water to run through the delta versus how much water to divert into the other reservoir, opposite Fryant, that is the only storage for metropolitan water and the central San Joaquin Valley. That when those opinions cause the majority of that water to flow to the ocean and not to LA or the valley, in that situation, The people of California have to ask themselves if 
10% of the water is used for residences and business. And we're having to let our lawns go dead. And we're having to take shorter showers so that instead of using 10% of the total water supply, we're only going to use eight. The residents have to ask themselves, where did the other 70% of the water go? And ask their legislators, ask their councilmen, their mayors, my water bill is 10 times higher. From what I can see in the grand scheme of things, we're using 12% instead of 10% of the entire state supply. My bill's doubled. It doesn't make sense. And so I will defer and answer your question that says the most important person, a Californian, could ask themselves today is of 100% of the water that comes into the state, what is the truth about the amount that I use as a residential tax-paying citizen? Are there any resources? So can you talk of some, some place that, something that I can watch, something I can follow that gets me more information about California agriculture? Three guys in the Central Valley, uh, Eric Bream, who happens to be sitting on our board of directors, along with another buddy of his whose name is Eric Wilson from Dos Palos or Los Banos, and Steve Malanka. Those three guys came up with a scheme to create a decal that said, my job depends upon ag, and it's kind of a decal of the state of California. And if you drive around the state of California, you'll see thousands thousands and thousands of vehicles that have that my job decal depends on ag decal on their on their window kind of a testament to the amount of people that directly or indirectly recognize agriculture as the industry it is and those three individuals created a a facebook page called my job depends upon ag and it was to try to communicate to the masses through social media uh, first-hand experiences and first-hand knowledge from first generation, second generation, third generation agriculturalists, those stewards, those land stewards we were talking about earlier, for a way to just kind of get their message out to try to begin educating the public with the frustrations that we're having as we work through these environmental and political and, and whatever issues that are affecting agriculture today. As that web Facebook page got more and more popular, uh, Eric Bream and I realized that we needed to, you needed to get it to the next step. So we met with Jeff Aiello of 30-something Productions, who currently is the CEO of Valley PBS Television, Channel 18 of Fresno, and sat down with Jeff and asked Jeff if he would help us in taking a Facebook concept and transitioning or transferring it onto film where we could kind of get our Facebook messages, maybe in the film version, to try to reach those people that were not, were not getting the message. Through that media, through that producer, allowing the producer, the farmer, the grower, the livestock owner, the woman vineyardist, 
to do the talking on camera, just like we're doing right now. You're allowing me to share what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. That is the same style that Jeff Aiello brought to this series, American Grown. My job depends upon ag on PBS television. It's also available on YouTube. I believe he has an American Grown. My job depends upon channel to anyone from a non-agricultural area. If you have an interest about how your food is produced and the issues that your fellow farming neighbors, women farmers, men farmers, young farmers, immigrant farmers, all of this matrix and fabric of agriculture is dealing with today, I highly recommend that you tap into that series or that body of work. There's another body of work called Tapped Out, and it's about the battle of water in the San Joaquin Valley. Again, I think it's also available on YouTube. So, uh, Tom, as um, listening to you and thinking through this, learned a lot myself, and I've learned a lot uh, through the years that I've known you. And I know you've always exploring different things and doing different things with uh, running different businesses that you've done all your life, uh, not just in agriculture, but outside agriculture. I know you hold patents and you've done quite a lot of things. What are you doing today? Can you can we, can we you introduce yourself? We, <laughs> did, we didn't do this at the beginning. Let's do that at the end. Okay. Uh, sure. well, what is Tom doing today? What do you yeah. do today? One of the things I can share with you after being in this agricultural industry for most of my life, uh, I I realize in retrospect that for about 45 years, I was happy to go out and finance an agricultural business that by design was guaranteed to return me 15 cents of a $2 per pound sale. And that as that finally sunk into me, I decided to upon 2019 and the passing of the farm bill to take a risk and to take advantage of the ability to grow industrial hemp as a commercial crop in the state of California. I find myself excited, re-energized, because I'm working with a crop that has a stigma, not very well understood, often confused with its sister that produces THC, which is not the crop that I'm producing. I'm producing an industrial crop, primarily for textile use or nutritional feed use and some pharmaceutical use, but no intoxicant benefits. If somebody would want to buy stuff or whatever, so there's a website uh, mm -hmm. they can reach out. Is that can you? Yeah, give us they a would go to amarocbd.com. Or they can go to my Facebook or Instagram page, which is amaro.beauty. Tom, this has been such a, this has been a pleasure. This is, uh, it's always interesting to talk to you. It's always, with everything that I know about agriculture, I still learn a lot when I listen to you. So thank you so much for coming down. Thank you for everything that you do for United Ag. Agriculture needs leaders like you. United Ag needs leaders need leaders like you because, like you said, healthcare, agriculture, we all need to take that all forward. So thank you. Thanks. You're welcome, Curdy. Thank you for the opportunity to share my experience.